0: Good evening, there, sluggy kiddos. It is November 13th, 2023. It's a Monday, Monday night, and I've got a good half hour here before I have to go to work, so I would love to read some more to you. We are reading book five of Chuck Black's Kingdom series. This book's called Kingdom Quest, and we're going to pick up with chapter nine here. I'll tell you what, guys, this book is getting very exciting. And I, I'm i super excited to keep going with it. Um, let me do something here. I actually got my old phone recording because it does a better job with the podcast. And then I'm going to read off of my new phone. And get to the right spot here. There we are. Chapter 9 is called Tournament of Death. Kina was at war with her heart. The factions of her battle were somehow all connected to Gavanaugh. At times, she wanted to scream, and at other times, she wanted to cry. When she heard Gavanaugh speak of the prince, she was drawn to the beauty and power of the story. She knew that it was those same words that, if she were to truly embrace them, would require her to offer full forgiveness to Gavanagh. But part of her wanted to hang on to the bitterness and anger because of what he had done to her and her family months earlier. It was a beast that still reared its ugly head and refused to die. The irony of it all was that Kena was strangely drawn to this man who had caused her so much pain. The kindness he now showed her seemed genuine. And she did not deny that there were moments when she wanted to believe it, to believe it was really true. However, she knew that she could not have both vengeance and love, and it seemed as though she would lose her mind in the throes of this conflict. The prince was calling her to a better place. She just didn't know the way there. The tournament had forced the silent war within her heart to the forefront of her mind. Deep down, she began to understand that she could not hope for his demise, for even the smallest seeds of love had power over the worst of dragons. Her insistence on being Gavanaugh's squire had surprised not only her companions, but herself as well for the words had passed her lips as though a part of her heart was ruling her tongue, a part that whispered, He truly cares for you. If she could somehow get beyond the clutches of pain and vengeance, she wondered if Gavanaugh's kindness toward her was purely out of remorse and nothing more. She dared not let her heart wander into the fairy tale of love for she was just a peasant, and Gavanaugh had been and always would be a gallant knight. How could one of his stature ever have feelings for one such as me, she wondered. Such thoughts only added to her confusion and conflict. The only response she could give to Gavanaugh for his attempts at showing her kindness was indifference. Anything else might bring her more pain. The Tournament of Lords was presided over by the Duke of Thessia and always began with a procession of the thirty-two participating knights riding about the periphery of the amphitheater. Since Gavanaugh was a participant, Weston and Sandon were given respectful seats near the nobility. The nobility seating was near the ground level, distinguishable by double staircases to the left and right of the ceremonial platform. This gave access to the arena for tournament presentations. Vibrant banners decorated the seating area. The Duke, along with the marquises, Earls, Viscounts, Barons, and other noblemen and their ladies, were all seated there. The Knights marshaled themselves in an outer court before entering the amphitheater. Kena made some final adjustments to Triumph's saddle and straightened the colorful horse blanket. Gavanaugh prepared to mount, and Kena readied the stirrup. He paused and looked at her. He did not understand why she had volunteered to serve as his squire, but he was glad for it. As a noble knight, he would not have even dared consider Kena anything more than just a peasant girl. But here, on the other side of his encounter with the prince, he found exhilarating freedom from such foolishness. He thought of Liesel in Chessington. According to the estates of the kingdom, she would be an acceptable woman for a knight such as him to court, but it was Kena who stirred powerful feelings of love in him. For this reason, he was all the more grateful for the ways of the prince. It was the unreachable true nobility of the prince that demolished the foolishness of social estates among men in Areftri. For the height of a bright star in the heavens looks the same whether gazed upon from a mountain or a valley. When he did not directly mount triumph, Kena looked up at him. When he did not directly mount triumph, Keena looked up at him. Keena, I. Gavin, wanted desperately to share his feelings for her, but he could not find the words. I am grateful and honored to have you by my side today. She lowered her head, but he gently lifted up her chin so he could see her eyes. You are not my servant. You are my friend, he said. Keena's usual countenance of indifference softened and her eyes seemed to beckon him without a single word from her lips she had completely captured his heart and he wondered if she even knew it gavanaugh broke the moment for fear of saying something foolish and mounted triumph he adjusted his armor and keena handed the reins to him please don't die today sir gavanaugh she said quickly and then turned to take her position next to Triumph. Knights, forward! came the command from the front. The squires each walked beside their mounted knights, who were all arrayed in gleaming armor. Sir Baval led the procession through an arched gateway to the cheers of thousands of spectators and seemed to revel in the adoration of the crowd. Gavanaugh could hear, trumpets ahead heralding the knight's arrival into the arena. He and Kina were last in the procession, and as they entered, they were amazed at the size of the structure and at the throng of people. Nearly every seat was filled, and Gavinov figured over 20,000 spectators must be present. The bowl shape of the amphitheater captured the voices and added to each subsequent cheer until the noise was constant and nearly deafening the knights and squires ahead waved to the crowd as their horses pranced about in formation triumph seemed to sense the occasion he held his head high and his gait became the perfect prance of a show horse they've got nothing on you triumph keena said as they watched the riders and the horses ahead when the procession finished, names were drawn to match opponents. Gavanagh was pitted against Sir Garamond of Thessia. Theirs would be the final contest of the day. Gavanaugh beckoned Julian. "'What do you know of Sir Garamond?' he asked the Thessian lad. Julian looked quite somber. "'He is one of the best in the tournament.' It is believed that if any knight could beat Sir Bavol, it would be Sir Garamond. Kina, overhearing, looked worried. Soon the first round of fighting began. Gavanagh was well acquainted with the gruesome consequences of warfare, but the deaths and injuries that resulted from these duels were senseless, and he could hardly bear to watch. The crowd's cheering made it even worse. He forced himself to watch Sir Beval's fight, for he presumed he might eventually face him. The crowd cheered loudly for Beval, and it was clear that he was a favorite. Sir Beval was indeed a skilled knight, and Gavanagh recognized the dauntless manoeuvres of a man who had tasted real battle many times before. If he should have to face this man, the challenge would be great. By late afternoon, all of the contests had been fought, except Gavanaugh's. Ten men had been killed, and five others were severely wounded. Gavanaugh and Sir Garamond rode from the gates at the opposite ends of the arena through large, ornate stone pillars that extended part way into the fighting area. They turned to salute the Duke and the rest of the nobility as the trumpets blew. The herald uh, the herald announced the knights. Sir Garamond of Thessia fights to honor Lord Rowland of the Eastern Kingdom. The crowd roared with applause and shouts. Sir Gavanaugh of Chessington fights to honor. The herald paused, and the crowd hushed to silence the unknown lord of the kingdom beyond a rumble of exclamation and surprise filled the amphitheater the men dismounted removed their helmets and saluted each other their squires came to take their horses and helmets as Gavanaugh handed the reins to kena she looked at him with fear in her eyes it will be all right he said calmly She hesitated just a moment and then guided Triumph to the edge of the arena. The men faced each other, and Gavanaugh looked upon Sir Garamond for the first time. The man's eyes were set like stones in a mighty wall. His jaw was square and his stance powerful. He drew his sword, and Gavanaugh followed Garamond attacked first, and Gavanagh countered with a masterful combination. The men exchanged a number of reserved attacks, and Gavanagh came to admire Garamond's tactics, for they closely matched his own. The exchanges slowly became more and more intense, as did the cheers of the crowd. Each time Garamond advanced, the crowd roared their approval. Each time Gavanaugh advanced, Moans of disapproval filled the air. Garamond was indeed an extremely skilled swordsman, and Gavinaugh suspected that he had not yet seen the man's best. Gavina countered a slice and and initiated a steady combination of power and speed that put Garamond in retreat as the blades of steel collided time after time. It was aggressive, but certainly not indicative of Gavinaugh's full reserve of skill. Gavanaugh halted his attack and looked into his opponent's eyes, questioning the man's level of confidence. Garamond's eyes had widened slightly, and Gavanaugh could sense his realization that he was facing something he had never faced before. Garamond did not hesitate long, however, and charged full ahead with a set of cuts and slices that was a challenge for Gavanagh to thwart. He countered and retreated, but then held his ground. The distance between them closed. Garamond brought a cut from the left. Gavanagh blocked it, spun, and brought a slice across Garamond's chest that tore into his armor. He stumbled backward and Gavanagh executed a thrust that passed between Garamond's chest and right arm. The men were nearly chest to chest, and for an instant they locked eyes. Garamond's expression was one of wonder, for Gavanagh had executed his thrust purposefully off target to miss the man's chest. "'Your fight is noble. The unknown lord would be honored.' Gavinaugh said. The men parted, and Garamond seemed momentarily stunned. Garamond! 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 The crowd began to chant, and Garamond's face was set once again to the fight. Garamond exploded with such massive blows and speed that Gavinaugh knew they were the extent of all he had. Gavinaugh labored to quell the attack. In the midst of the advance, he feigned retreat, ducked beneath a high cut, and predicted Garamond's next move, and brought a powerful counter-blow that nearly knocked Garamond's sword from his grip. In that moment, the euphoria of the crowd dwindled to exclamations of surprise as Galvanagh unleashed a volley of rapid blows that Garamond could not repel. Garamond's countenance began as one who had awakened a sleeping tiger. His retreat was inevitable as he narrowly deflected slice after slice. In one massive, circling cut, Gavinaw's blade blasted into Garamond's and sent the sword flying many paces away. He fell backward and onto the ground, exhausted and defeated. Gavanaugh quickly covered Garamond and stood over him with his sword raised high for the final thrust. The crowd fell silent as they realized that one of their best had been defeated by an unknown knight fighting for the unknown lord. It was a historical event that brought every spectator in the stadium to his feet, including the Duke of Thessia. Death with honor! shouted various people from the crowd until the stadium reverberated with the chant. Gavanaugh scanned the stadium and then looked deep into Garamond's eyes. The man closed his eyes and prepared for his final breath. Gavanaugh raised his sword a little higher and then plunged the gleaming steel blade deep into the soil beside Garamond's chest. The crowd fell into an eerie silence once again. Garamond opened his eyes. Sir Gavanoff of Chessington, the master tournament official called out, you must either kill or disable your opponent to advance in the tournament. If you do not, you forfeit your right in the next round. Gavanaugh pulled his sword from the ground and held it before him. Noble, sorry, nobility and citizens of Thessia, Gavanagh called loudly for all to hear. Sir Garamond fought a noble and honorable fight. His death would serve no purpose. Never before has a knight fought for the unknown lord in your tournament and lived. This same lord requires of me to spare this man's life. If that means I don't advance, then so be it, for I will honor my Lord before you. If you should choose to eliminate me from the tournament, let it be known that the victor of your tournament will not have defeated the knight who fights for the unknown Lord, and your champion will be no champion at all. A moment of uncertainty flashed across the official's face, and the murmurings of the crowd grew in volume. Another official came to talk with the first. A moment later, they ascended the staircases to the nobility and conferred with the Duke of Thessia. In the commotion, Gavanagh knelt down to his fallen opponent and grabbed his hand. "'Rise up, Sir Garamond,' And do not be ashamed, the Prince of Arethray has need of you in life, much more so than in death. Gavanagh said, he lifted Garamond from the arena floor, and the man stared at him in astonishment. No matter the outcome of this day, Sir Gavanagh, know that I will serve you as my liege. I so swear. Garamond spoke with a passion and knelt before him. No, Garamond, rise up and do not serve me. Serve the prince of this kingdom, who came to save us all. Gavanagh said as he lifted Garamond once more to his feet. Tell me who this prince is that deserves the devotion of a knight as noble as you, and I shall follow him to the ends of the kingdom. "'Galvanagh smiled and placed his hand on Garamond's shoulder. Then I shall, for his kingdom is reserved for hearts such as yours, my friend.' "'Galvanagh of Chessington!' shouted the tournament official. "'The crowd hushed to hear the judgment of the duke. "'By the grace of the duke of Thessia, and in honor of the unknown lord, "'you are allowed to advance.' Any further infractions of tournament rules, however, will not be tolerated. The crowd roared their approval and the ovation did not diminish for a long while. Sorry, I lost my place here, kiddos. Okay. Gavanaugh bowed to the Duke to show his appreciation. The squires returned with their steeds, and the two men and their escorts exited the amphitheater. Garamond invited Gavanagh, Weston, Sandon, Kena, and Julian to dine with him that evening at his manor. After an elaborate meal the finest foods Thessia had to offer, Gavanagh shared the story of the prince with Garamond. He listened intently and seemed nearly overwhelmed by the words. I have searched the kingdom over for a cause noble enough to dedicate my life to and found nothing worthy. These words you speak ignite a fire in my heart that the great sea itself could not quench. From this day forward, I will serve this prince you speak of and the king who reigns from a distant land. Gavanon knighted Garamond as a knight of the prince, and another companion's soul joined the army of the prince. Garamond insisted that his new friends stay with him while in Thessia, for his manor was large and had many rooms. He shared all that he owned with them, as well as his knowledge of the knights Gavanagh would face in the days to come. They were all very grateful. The following day, Gavanaugh faced his next opponent, and the fight was over quickly, for his skill far surpassed that of the other night. Once again, he refused to kill him, and the officials had a mind to eliminate him. By now, however, Gavanaugh had become a favorite of the crowd, and the influence of their cheers was too much to overcome, so he was allowed to advance without even a warning. Each day Gavanagh fought and was victorious until only one knight remained for him to defeat, Sir Baval of Whitem. Word of the mighty Sir Gavanagh, who fought for the unknown Lord, had spread not only through all of Thessia, but throughout the surrounding regions. On the last day of the tournament, the seats, the aisles, and the gates were all crowded with bystanders hoping to see the final contest. Distant thunder rumbled as the sky threatened to release its rain from the dark clouds above, but Thessia and its citizens did not care. The excitement of this event overshadowed the discomforts of any possible inclement weather. Under the north gate to the amphitheater, Weston, Sandon, Garamond, Kena, and Julian readied Gavinaw and Triumph both for the final duel was to be fought on horseback. I have watched Sir Bavol for two years and dared not enter the tournament before now because of him. Garamond said as he secured Gavinaw's breastplate, He is not only very skilled, but deceptive besides. The Mounted Duel is his forte, and you will be at a disadvantage since you are left-handed. Gavanaugh's five friends stood before him, and he could read the concern on each of their faces. He smiled broadly at them all. What do you find so humorous, Gavanaugh? Weston asked, a bit perturbed. I have never had so much fuss over me in all of my days as a knight, he said with a laugh as he mounted triumph. I think I shall have to find more tournaments to fight in. His humor seemed to ease the tension. May the lords of... Garamond stopped himself. May the prince be with you. And with you. Gavanaugh replied, Weston, Sandon, and Garamond made their way to the seats that were reserved for, for them near the nobility, as Keno walked beside Gavanagh into the amphitheatre at the sound of the trumpets and to the deafening roar of twenty-five thousand cheering spectators. Beval entered from the south gate and raised his hand." to accept the adoration of thousands. He was a powerful-looking knight with jet-black hair and a beard to match. His steed was two hands taller than Triumph, which added to his dominating stature. When Gavanaugh saw that many were shouting his own name, he stopped Triumph near the towering stone pillars and began to dismount. What are you doing? Kina asked, alarmed at his actions. He continued to dismount. It is wrong for these people to lift up any man other than the prince up other than the prince up like this. He replied, walking beside Kina to the center of the arena. Along the way Kina kept looking over at Gavanaugh as though she could hardly believe he would do such a thing. At the arena center, Gavanaugh left Triumph and walked Kina to the side of the arena, and the cheers of the crowd subsided into a rumble of muttered conversations. "'Thank you for all you have done to help me over the past few days,' Gavanaugh said. Kina opened her mouth to speak but could not form any words. The crowd hushed as Gavanaugh bowed to her and then returned to triumph. The reaction from the people and the nobility was clearly one of confusion and amazement. When Gavanaugh reached his steed, he mounted and prepared for the fight. The herald announced the knights and then separated for their mounted passes. Each met ma- Whoops. Yeah, the herald announced the knights and they separated for their mounted passes. Each man drew his sword, and the trumpet sounded. The men charged full speed toward one another, their gleaming blades before them. Gavanaugh could feel his mighty triumph pounding the ground beneath, but could not hear it, for the shouts of the crowd flooded the amphitheater and overwhelmed all other sounds. Since the injury to his right arm years before, Gavanaugh hadn't been in battle with Triumph and so didn't know how the horse would respond to his being left-handed, but the steed seemed to understand his limitation. At the final moment, Triumph crossed over before Bavall's horse and Gavanaugh was able to strike a forceful blow upon Bavall's breastplate that nearly sent him to the ground. Baval cursed and recovered quickly. He positioned his horse to regain his right, right side advantage, but Triumph instinctively repositioned himself for Gavanaugh's advantage time and time again. Baval's frustration was obvious as he tried to engage Gavanaugh across his body. Gavanaugh took advantage of Triumph's brilliant maneuvering and landed blow after blow upon Baval. At one point, Gavanagh saw an opening in Béval's guard and brought a wide, powerful slice across his body. Béval's only response was to bring his sword up just in time to stop what would have been a deadly cut across his neck and chest. The clash was near the hilt and so strong, however, that Béval's sword broke in two. Beval cursed again and threw the shattered remnants of his sword to the ground as he galloped to his squire to receive a new sword. The thunder from the sky was replaced by a thunder of spectators pounding their feet upon the stone steps of the amphitheater. The sky began to break, letting spires of sunlight through the dark clouds. Baval turned from his squire and charged ferociously at Gavanaugh again but this time he hesitated at the engagement and drove his horse right drove his horse right into triumph as the horses collided beval lunged at gavanaugh and horses and men all fell to the ground in a heap of clashing armor and flailing hooves gavanaugh rolled away from the fracas hoping that triumph was all right he began to stand, but out of the corner of his eye caught the shadow of a deadly blade arcing toward his head. He brought his sword into a protective position above and below and behind him in time to stop Beval's cut. Beval recoiled and struck again, but Gavinot ducked, turned, and executed a quick and shallow thrust that penetrated Beval's thigh just above his plate armor. Gavanaugh then fully recovered to a standing defensive position. both men were breathing heavily to Gavanaugh. Beval looked angry and frustrated. The injury to Bavall's thigh did not appear to hinder the man at all, however, and he attacked Gavanaugh in a steady advance of cuts and slices. Gavanaugh was momentarily taken by the strength of Beval's blows and tried to adjust. This night was one of the best Gavanaugh had ever faced, and for a moment he wondered if he would survive the day. The crowd had worked itself into a near-frenzied state during the course of the fight, and Gavanaugh found it difficult to concentrate. beval's energy and attack seemed endless as his blade pounded into Gavanaugh's. One of Beval's cuts was so strong that it slammed into Gavyn's sword and continued into his shoulder his shoulder plate bore the brunt of the blow but Beval's sword glanced off and hit his head just above his ear he could feel the blood oozing down his neck as he made a gallant effort to recover the crowd shouted wildly gavyn continued his retreat from beval's tireless attack which put him up against one of the one of the stone pillars, Beval made a massive two-handed cross-cut that crashed into Gavanaugh's sword. Gavanaugh could not maintain his grip as his weapon tore loose from his hand. He stepped backward in retreat and tripped over a corner of the foundation block the pillar was set upon. Gavanaugh was lying on his back without his sword. The crowd quieted as Beval covered him and raised his sword for the final death blow. Gavanaugh glanced toward Kena, who was just below the seating for nobility. She had fallen to her knees and covered her face with her hands. All the kingdom seemed to stop, and the next moment stalled its arrival. Gavanaugh thought of the prince and the compassion he had shown him. How foolish to end my mission in a way such as this. Gavanaugh saw Beval's sword descending from above in a two-handed plunge, but strangely, he was not afraid. His mind had transitioned to a state he had never experienced before. The blade came down, and Gavanaugh rolled just far enough for it to miss his mark miss its mark. He rolled back and grabbed onto the hilt of Béval's sword with his left hand. Béval pulled his sword upward and away for another strike, but Gavanaugh held tightly to the hilt, using the movement to lift him from the ground. He was catapulted to a standing position and carried his, his momentum forward. He swung his right elbow forward with all of his might into Béval's jaw, and the blow sent the man reeling backward. Gavanagh made use of the time to recover his sword and faced Bavol once again. You have only prolonged your death! Bavol shouted as he rubbed his jaw and prepared to attack again. The cheering of the crowd was once again deafening, but this time Gavanaugh did not hear them. He had discovered the strength of the prince, and there was no one who could strip him of that power. He took a swordsman's stance that portrayed his renewed confidence and viewed the coming fight with anticipation. Beval attacked as before, but this time Gavanagh did not retreat. His blade flew faster and more accurately than ever and his domination in the fight was undeniable. He began a methodical advance and realized that he could take Béval down in an instant. He was relying completely upon the training he had received from the prince. He did not want to kill Béval, but he knew that the man would not submit until his last breath. Baval's countenance of assurance changed to one of desperation as he seemed to realize the shift of momentum in the fight. Gavanagh paused in his attack. Yield, Sir Baval, or you will surely die. The men were breathing heavily, and sweat ran down their faces and bodies. There was now more sun than shade. For the clouds in the sky were few, it is you who will die this day. Beval lunged forward and attacked, but Gavanaugh anticipated the move, deflected his cut, and plunged his sword through Beval's right arm. Beval screamed, but did not drop his sword. He transferred it to his left hand and attacked again. Gavanagh defended. And made a thrust into Beval's shoulder. Before long, Beval was bleeding from multiple wounds, but he would not yield. Beval attempted a final weak attack, but Gavanagh easily deflected the cut and quickly followed with a blow that Beval could not defend. The swords collided, and Beval lost his grip. His sword flew from his hand and Gavanaugh advanced to prevent him from recovering it. Bevel grabbed his right arm to staunch the blood flowing freely from the wound. There was no fight left in him. The crowd erupted into an ovation that did not subside. Bevel fell to his knees before Gavanaugh. You must kill me to end my shame, he said weakly. The crowd began to yell, Death with Honor! Gavanaugh turned to the seats of the nobility and held up his hand to quiet the people. After a moment, all were silent as they waited for Gavanagh to finish the contest and become the champion of the Tournament of Lords. People of Thessia! Why do you need the death of a man to make a champion victorious? He shouted. He turned so as to talk to everyone in the amphitheater. Let me tell you about the death of a champion who made his followers victorious. I fight for the unknown Lord. You, have ignorantly given honor to him through the statue in the courtyard of the Lord's, yet you do not know him. I have seen him and will testify before all of Arethrae that he is nobler than any lord in any land, for he is the son of the king and the prince of Arethrae. By him was this kingdom established. And through him this kingdom will be saved. He came to teach us of the king and of the code. But for the truth he spoke, he was hung upon a tree. People hear and believe this. He is now alive, for I have seen him face to face. And there is none like him in the entire kingdom. Gavanaugh turned and looked down at Beval. There is no shame in losing to the sword of the prince. There is only shame in choosing not to follow him. Beval looked as though he were about to fall, for his wounds were beginning to overcome him. Gavanaugh motioned to Baval's squire just as the knight fell sideways. Gavanaugh grabbed him and gently laid him on the ground. His squire and two other men came to help. Beval looked into Galvinot's face and grabbed his arm. "Tell me of the ways of the unknown lord, that I may teach them to my people at Whiten." Beval's words were strained. "I will. Good night." and you will have the reward a thousand times of this tournament, he said, inspired by the heart of the man. He stood and allowed the other men to care for Baville. The Duke of Thessia rose from his chair. The tournament officials motioned for the crowd to hush again. Sir Gavanaugh of Chessington, the Duke said loudly, Your words about the unknown Lord are strange to us, but we cannot deny that your skill or your victory this day. You are indeed champion of the tournament of lords. The crowd gave a riotous ovation that could not be easily quieted. After some time, the duke spoke again. Come and choose a lady from the nobility upon which to bestow the honor of Lady of the Tournament of Lords. The duke motioned the ladies seated about him. There were many beautiful and dignified ladies. Those who had received such an honor before wore pendants signifying such. The master tournament official came and guided Gavanaugh up one of the staircases and onto the ceremonial platform. The duke presented him with a pendant and a royal robe that he was to bequeath to the chosen lady. The pendant was bright gold with a ruby set amid intricate inlays. The robe was an exquis- was as exquisite a garment as Gavanaugh had ever seen made of red velvet with white lace edgings. The collar was cream-colored silk that shined like the moon off the still crimson river. Gavanaugh looked into the faces of the women. Some sat with a dignified look of propriety, while others seemed to beg with their eyes to be chosen. Two nights before the tournament began, there had been a ball where the knights and ladies were to become acquainted But Gavinaw's late arrival and selection for the tournament had caused him to miss the affair. He was thankful, for being in the presence of the Thessian nobility felt like being back in the world of the noble knights. He looked out into the faces of the common people and thought of the prince. The prince had not chosen the noble knights. He had chosen peasants. And Gavanaugh had seen more nobility in the hearts of those peasants than he had ever seen in the upper estates. And beyond that, the prince had now chosen the outdwellers, since the people of Chessington had rejected him. Gavanaugh folded the robe over his right arm and held the pendant in his hand. He walked down the staircase away from the nobility. Sir Gavanagh, you must choose a lady, the duke said sternly. Gavanagh paused midway down the staircase. I shall, good sir. The crowd began to murmur. They had never seen a knight so boldly cast aside the traditions of men. Gavanagh continued down the staircase and walked toward Kena. As he approached she stepped aside to let him pass, but he did not pass by. He faced her and looked into her eyes, eyes filled with wonder and puzzlement. He held out his left arm for her, but she backed away, shaking her head. Kina, in the eyes of the king, we are all equal. There is neither nobleman nor peasant what he sees are people who need a deliverer. When we accept that, we become royalty, like his son. You may consider yourself a peasant, but the king sees a princess, and so do I. Kena stared blankly at Gavanagh, and then lowered her head. Since he had never expressed his feelings to her before, he wondered if such words might rekindle the animosity she had previously felt for him. She looked back up at him, and he saw that her eyes were moist. She slowly took his arm, and they proceeded up the staircase. There was great commotion in the crowd. On the platform, Galvanot took the royal robe and placed it upon Kena's shoulders. He then fastened the pendant about her neck. She turned to face Gavanaugh, and he was taken once again with her beauty. Gavanaugh addressed the awestruck crowd. The prince I spoke of is coming again to rule in honor and in truth. Open your eyes and believe, for he calls each of you whether noble or peasant he cares not of the stature of a man but of the condition of his heart all are equal in the eyes of the prince Gavinot turned to face kena bowed deeply to her and then proclaimed i present to you lady kena of arethtre lady of the Tournament of the Lords. The applause was slow to begin, but as it started with the common people, it spread quickly. Within a few moments, there was an ovation mixed with shouts that shook the stadium. Even the nobility eventually joined, for they looked foolish to remain still. Gavanagh held his hand out to Keena and she slipped her hand in his. Though soiled by the dust of the arena, the warmth of his touch seemed to flow up her arm and fill her heart. She could no longer deny the strong feeling she had for him. When Gavanaugh nearly died during the battle against Bayval, she felt as though she would die herself. The feelings she had suppressed were laid bare by the threat of his death, and her heart pleaded with the king to save him. Now, in the presence of twenty-five thousand, he had lifted her from peasantry to nobility in an instant. The roar of the crowd continued to fill the amphitheater, and Kena didn't know how to respond to such a thing. At first, she was horribly embarrassed and wanted to disappear, but the response from the crowd was overwhelming, and soon she could not help the tears that spilled onto her cheeks as she looked about the amphitheater. The tears she shed watered the seeds of forgiveness in her heart. They cast the beast of vengeance away. They healed the wounds of anguish. They welcomed the hope of love. Lady Kena had arrived, and it was all because of the prince. Gavana held her hand and turned her to face the people. Her hand felt delicate in his, and he sensed no hurry from her to abandon his touch. They descended the stairs, and he called for triumph. He readied himself to lift her onto Triumph's back, but she hesitated and looked at him. She smiled through her tears, reached up, and gently kissed his cheek. He felt forgiven all over again and thought his heart might leap from his chest. He lifted her onto Triumph and then walked beside her, leading Triumph toward the north gate all the while the cheers of the crowd did not diminish. This tournament of lords would not be easily forgotten by the people of Thessia, for a knight of the prince had come to proclaim his work among the outdwellers and bring true nobility within reach of the common people. Okay, kiddos, that is the end of chapter 9, and we are going to stop there for the night. Um, I had to do that chapter in two pieces because it was so long. That's why there was a break in the middle. I had to go to work, and now it's after work. So, I love you kiddos very much. Thank you for listening. I am pretty sure that if anybody enjoys all these podcasts the most it's me because I really like all these stories we read there's only been a couple of duds and I think I think we remember which one which ones were the duds Shiloh but anyways I really like this story Are you guys still pining over uh um what was that guy's name yeah, I didn't think so. Oh not Daniel, but what was the the word salad there? Isn't it funny I can't remember his name? Anyways, I really like Sir Gavanaugh and uh I really like Triumph. And I really like Lady Kina. So, anyways. I'm really tired. I'm going to go to sleep. I'll catch y'all later. Love you. Night-night.
1: of your days shine brightly And your nights blessed with peace Wherever you lay down to sleep And all things I'll make good For those who believe me seed into a strong fruitful tree as the days unfold hold your breath to see life is a mystery